Okay, we're back. Back at what? We're back at, well, Oral back. Argument World Headquarters. All right. With uh, yet another show, which is just you and me. We've had a lot of these recently. Yeah, we, it's, uh, you know, it's boom and bust. It's feast and famine. <laughs> I, I, I love how a show with just you and me is considered a famine. It's an, or, or a bust. So, <laughs> an intellectual famine. This is the opposite of, of uh, Judge Bork's. Yes. In, intellectual smorgasbord, is that what he said? He called or it feast? An, he, he called service on the court an intellectual feast. Um, and this is the opposite of that. Right. So it's a it's a busting famine. I always like to contrast. It's a great episode title, Busting Famine. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe something better will come up. Maybe. I doubt it. I always compared it with uh, Justice Souter's commentary that he felt he had to turn his brain off when the term started again, <laughs> which is <laughs> quite the slam, yes. really, right? But, but apparently one doesn't turn one's snark off. Perhaps you've read some summaries of uh, Justice Gorsuch the other day. Oh. Yeah, we'll we'll get to this. We'll get There's to this. this quaint little thing I like to call the Constitution. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Uh, he doesn't talk like that. No, but he might as well have been. I, I'm actually really interested to on hear a rocking, you know, in a rocking chair on a yeah. porch with a corn cob pipe, and yeah, we walked uphill both ways in a pair of cardboard shoes. <laughs> this quaint little thing to call the Constitution. Multi multi time guest Tim Meyer clerked for. Justice, now Justice Gorsuch. True, and I'm sure he would do a much better uh, impression. (laughs) We should should get Tim to come on and do Gorsuch impressions. I mean, you saw this thing in the New Yorker, right? Jeffrey Tubin wrote this. I don't know that I've read that. Okay. I don't know that I've read that one, but I've seen a number of things and I've read some of the portions of the transcripts. We're talking about two uh, cases tonight in my Supreme Court discussion group. Nice. Um, That were just The holdover immigration cases, and we'll be talking about the the um the uh, uh partisan gerrymandering case were they uh, in both, two weeks were, were they both argued uh, this week yes. these holdover immigration cases yeah 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 exactly exactly so there's a lot to talk about i don't know if we're going to talk about the supreme court this week i've i i've here yeah cuz this is going to be one of those shows okay. where if you're like boy I, you know i loved last week or two weeks ago now yeah i loved two weeks ago with charles with, with charles barton yeah that right? was amazing and, and i love the shows with guests but when when they don't have a guest they just kind of you know and you're thinking yeah, skip 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 well <laughs> maybe you want to go ahead, maybe, way to build it up dude maybe you want to go ahead and skip but maybe you're like hey. boy, i love when these guys are just like talking to, you know and, right. and you know maybe because i'm laughing at them rather than with them that's fine we don't care yeah it's a conversation um, but i do want to start off with something serious oh um very very serious this Oops. is the shooting in las vegas yikes which, I mean, you know, what are you going to say? And the only thing that I want to say about this, I know you went back and listened to it again, our tug of war episode, did, where yeah. we talked about this idea of liability to a fund, essentially like a tax on gun manufacturers. Right. Strict, absolute, you know, if you make a gun and it's used in a, in a shooting, uh, you, you pay you know, the value of uh, the actuarial value of a life, you know, on average. So it's basically $6 million or something like that. And Um, shades of Pigou because it brings onto the gun producer uh, some of the social cost of the guns existing. Yeah. Et cetera. My, you know, my main point there was that it's a way of, of unsticking things. I can, I, think of a, I can think of a more colorful way and to it describe may have a, it what may it does to the incentives, effect. right? But so, in other words, instead of like internalizing costs in order to uh, arrive at, say, an efficient level of gun violence, which is not the way I'm thinking of it, I'm thinking of getting everybody rowing in the same direction. But I don't know. I don't want to redo the whole yeah, show now. Those two could be the same thing. Yeah, of course, of course, but, of course. Um, but I, I only raise it because I've seen such like. 
kind of like resign, you know, resignation, depression this week. I mean, obviously this is a horrifying event. Yes. But from people who are otherwise full of ideas, you know, I don't know if you listened to the Weeds episode about gun violence and the back and forth between uh, Matt Iglesias and the other. I forget, yeah. And um, Ezra Klein and Sarah Cliff. Yeah, I don't know if Ezra was on this one. Or he was. I, I don't, was he? Okay, yeah. so you heard it. Okay, so um, there's a lot of resignation about like, well, nothing's going to happen. And they're absolutely right that a lot of the solutions that Democrats put forward are either milquetoast solutions or things which will not actually improve the underlying problem. They solve problems different than the mass shooting one, but other times they just don't do anything. And then anyway, there's a lot of concern, like especially that last, the last proposal about not letting people on the do not fly list uh, purchase guns. Yeah, that seemed to be what was strange about that was that the do not fly list itself has so many problems. Right. It like combines, sort of rely on it for something. I, I, here's it, the, here's, it combines all of the inefficiencies with which but he, but here's someone the, would have a, like, a, like a proposal like that with the craptastic nature of the do not fly but list. But here's what you've left off with. the Another thing you could be doing with a proposal uh, is you could be trying to demonstrate how vapid and uh, – and ridiculous your opposition is, right? Yeah. They won't vote even for this, right? right? Even for this. So, so if they say the do not fly list, I might have a critique of it, but I doubt that my opponent would make that critique. And I try to say, okay, fine, let's use this thing, which you probably like a lot more than I do. Let's use it as the basis for yeah. saying, and you won't even do that, I, I right? Totally so get, it's, a way yeah. to, it's a way to identify publicly get someone on the record as taking a position even more extreme than than it than people may have realized they'd be willing to take. I, I get the politics of it. Which is a strategy for long term right. and you trying can run to solve ads a problem. about how they want terrorists to have guns and you make subtle progress with people about their attitudes toward gun regulation and, and that by could be part of what's happening. like yeah. all these like I get I don't know that anyone ran ads like that, but um but it's the kind of thing that gets in the even if you don't run ads, it, it's right. in the public discussion and there's a bad news cycle for people who are standing up for the rights of people on the do not fly list to have firearms, right? And it's a, <laughs> like I get the politics of it. It just it's frustrating because it doesn't seem to be actually aimed at solving a, a real problem. Uh, yeah, I, again, I would put it slightly differently. I think it's aimed it's it's aimed at it's aimed at solving the problem in a way that vividly demonstrates just how many feet of ice are between you and the problem yeah. uh, that you have to melt first, right? That part of solving right. the problem is getting to it, and between you and it is like ten feet of solid ice. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think that we have. I, I think the position that we talked about on that show is the best chance for doing this. Because politically, it sounds in why should this industry not bear the costs it imposes? Like, True. why should all the costs of gun violence fall on victims, right? And right. why should it alone be free of, you know, every other industry that causes harms either bears those harms directly in monetary terms or is highly regulated. And, and this is like none of those things. Right. So it has that, like, if you're kind of a moral responsibility leaner, like, in other words, your bias is always toward thinking about who's to blame and personal responsibility. Like it's an attractive lens on the problem of, sure. of, of guns. But then also like once you achieve it, it solves so many other problems, right? So once you achieve a certain amount of liability, then you change incentives in a way where someone like the NRA is working for you and solving the problem rather than against you. Yeah. Then uh, I don't know why you would mention them specifically. What, what, what matters is what gun manufacturers. Exactly. And, and that's of course who, who the NRA really is. That's right. I'm equating them. Yeah, for, exactly. But, the, yeah. Because they were a trade association. But the, yeah. the, but the, 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 again, the, the important thing is individual producers of the product 
deciding I need to try to make a product that's less likely to land me on the hook for one of these $6 million checks right. that I need to write. Uh, and so what do I do to do that? Right. right. So maybe, for example, I make my firearm uh, impossible to attach to a bump stock that would allow it to fire rapidly. Right. Okay? That that could have affected this Las Vegas incident, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, right? That's a decision that a gun maker could make about how to design it. De- I, I know nothing. I know less than nothing about how to design these objects. So I don't know what that would entail, right? But but that's a, getting individual producers to right. think about things like that is a good, is they a know so in the right direction. It. They know so much more about it because the typical critique is, you know, liberals want to ban assault rifles and assault rifle is not even a real term in 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 guns it doesn't refer like right you know it, it, and that it, might be the truth and that, that might be the case in which quote unquote scary looking guns but it's right. like no more functional and and i'm thinking forget that i don't you're right i don't know about this stuff yeah, let's just and, make sure why that the people would, who do and uh, i don't need to know about right, it right. I, the expert who knows about it who makes it just needs to have the right incentive and then they talk about like how half or two-thirds of of gun deaths are from suicide as if like suicides aren't real deaths and like <laughs> And, you know, right. so certain, solve that problem too. make it harder certain, to use. Yeah. It. Right. If you study these things, there's a certain inducement of, of, of guns towards suicide, right? Guns seem to be causing some number of successful suicides. And so part of the answer is like I, the proposal that, that we talked about would also charge gun manufacturers for guns used in suicides, but sure. it's some reduction of rate. In other words, you would have to pay for the proportion of suicide inducement, right? You look at like how much. You know what I mean about background? Because trying to think, how much are guns contributing to this problem? Right. I, I actually think the right place to start it would just be the same figure. Because well, be, so you know, again, what the the, in the have the strongest incentive be figure out a way to make this less congenial to that. Right. Use. So that could be making your gun less useful for suicide. But what I actually foresee is the gun manufacturer saying, you know what, we really need a waiting period. Can you imagine gun manufacturers lobbying for waiting periods? Or for other things, like yeah, that's great. what you want, right? You want people who know the industry to say, here's the here's a way to reduce the costs right. of our industry. And right now the problem is they don't bear any of those costs. Correct. So anyway, that's the proposal. We, I, I think people should listen to that show. Uh, we'll link it up in the show notes because um, that's, I think, the only place that we've really outlined this in detail is in, is in that episode. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I just think it's the way forward. I don't know. Because uh, uh, otherwise, I get depressed. About well, I, I agree with you that it is a valuable, possible way forward to think about. I think the fact that um, I, I actually don't think any of these things are are even remotely plausible uh, mm-hmm. is simply in the sense that uh, the 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 liability bar on uh, that Congress passed to stop municipal cities and, and municipalities and such suing usually public nuisance suits right. is what they would bring. Um, yeah. You know, that that was a real step backward away right. from sensible uh, yeah. policy. And we see that's where I think they're vulnerable. I think that position is politically vulnerable. Right. But it's still there. Right. No, no one's yeah. like like you're not hearing anything like we need to repeal that. Right. But that's I, I think that's because people are focused on the wrong things. I think if you put your political energy behind that. I think you can make – now, to be clear, like I, I think like we talked about in that show, uh, the Tug of War show, my first position is like this is not a hobby of mine. I don't have guns. I don't care about guns. Like this is a hobby which is – and collecting guns or using guns as a hobby, like what is it? Like um, it's more than a quarter of people have guns but not much more than that, right? Most people don't have guns. Right. Uh, 
for some people, it's uh, it's a, it's a way of life, which just means a hobby that's really, really, really important to you. Sure. Right. And that's not to discount like the word hobby is not meant to demean it. Like life right. is hobbies. Right. 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 Like, and, I really and, like knitting. I would not like knitting to be prohibited. I think we even talked about that. So my first position is this, I don't care about guns. This is not a hobby of mine. For me, they're all risk. I don't get anything out of them. Um, I would just ban them. Right. That wouldn't hurt me. Like if I'm just self-interested, you know, if I'm, sure. Christ, I'm self-interested Christian here. Just wanting to do what makes me better off, I would say get rid of these things. They're not making me better off. But I understand that they that for other people these are really, really, really important things. And so this is my compromise position. Okay? <laughs> my compromise position, because my first position is get rid of these. I understand you don't want to get rid of these, right? So if you don't want to get rid of these, let's find a way where we can live together on this issue. Right. right? And this is a way I think we can live together, which is which doesn't involve me who knows nothing about this and doesn't care about these things other than, you know, keeping people safe from them. To say, you know, you people who know about this stuff, figure this out. Right. Yeah. And and the and the this is you want their price and availability to better reflect their social cost, which seems reasonable. Right. And, and I want I and I want positions on public policy to uh, um, to reflect the incentives the actors in the system would have if they bore those costs. This is kind of the second order kind of calabrese style signal that i'm right. thinking here and that right? follows from the first one right. as you say second order right right um yeah well works, all right i don't know if we want to say, i don't want to say any i mean there's nothing but more to but say but it's not going to happen i mean let, <laughs> that's the you know, the final uh, thing i would say it's just not going to happen uh, you've always said forever is a long time yeah and, like, fair, that's a fair point and and every every important revolution that you can think about uh, what is whether it's a minor revolution in law or whatever, or or right. a true revolution like someone articulated it, it, it long before it actually happened. Yeah, and and also they never seem like they're going to happen right up until they do, right? You, you're making as usual, Christian. You're making <laughs> many excellent <laughs> observations. This is I'm going to record that and we're, I'm going to use that as a bumper for every is that, show. <laughs> or, or, that could be your dude. That could be your ringtone. <laughs> yeah, like like that time that um that I wrote into one of Dan Benjamin's shows and he said. Uh, what did he say? Great point, Christian Turner. He used my name. <laughs> he said I made a great point. I'm like, this is this is like I, that, was, that was my Navin. Done. That was my Navin R. Johnson moment from the jerk. I got to right. just you know, I'm a real person now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <coughs> you hear that? Yeah, that that. Remember how it had that congestion? Yeah, in, the, in the atta- we, we call it the attack of the chair. It's kind of the it's attack come, of the toxic yeah, chair. We're, it's going it's kind of come back, but I, I think it's better today. All right, so I'm going to leave that one in. All right, that's that one's free. I, so I have a number. I have a number of other issues on this list that I just thought I would either bring to your attention or try to provoke you with. Oh, I love it. Number two. Damn you! Oh, have you read anything yet? <laughs> have I what? You haven't read anything yet. I was just getting no. ready. Oh, <laughs> you're trying to provoke me. Oh my god. Uh, Judge Posner. Mm. <laughs> this new book of his. Yeah. I feel like we're going to have to talk about this at some point. <sighs> he's, he's kicked off quite the, quite the poop storm. Can you say? <laughs> this is, it's actually, this I, is a, it's a family podcast, obviously. It is. I, I actually, you know, it's funny. I've read two, I've read two sort of, uh, I guess, bloggy things about it. The second, but, but, but to be clear, neither of us has read the book. No. Right? Yeah. Uh, Steve Lubet, who's a professor at Northwestern, uh, so someone wrote a blog thing. Uh, maybe it was on um, uh, Bollock Conspiracy, which I don't, which I don't regularly follow, um, calling the book kind of a real poop storm, as you say. And then, um, or uh, 
what was the expression? Something, you know, batshit crazy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lubet is like, no, it's not that. It has other, it has problems. And, and you know, and he starts to go into what some of this. So I've read some reviews, as, mm-hmm. as it were, very fast reviews. Um, and, and, you know, this book, the, look, the, uh, the treatment of pro se litigants in the federal system or, or frankly, any court system, because I'm sure there are pro se mm-hmm. litigants in state court systems. Uh, that that's a serious question about access to justice and how people get it. And, and it undoubtedly could be better. Whatever uh, the state yeah. of it now, it undoubtedly could be better. There, uh, certainly there are improvements that could be made. Um, having him review the work product of all the staff attorneys of the Seventh Circuit, that wouldn't be my first go-to Yeah, I saw solution. today that there was a uh, there was a response from a former Seventh Circuit staff attorney. Oh, my. Really... It look, I didn't read the long form. He's got a long form report. Uh, uh, well, you see, I, I mixed uh, retort, repost. I mean, one of those. Pick, pick your pick right. your verb, uh, and a shorter form one. And I just read the little blog blurb because it was just this morning that I saw it, and it looks like a taking out to the woodshed or an attempt to um, to defend the work of of this person and, and their former colleagues. And yeah, and then there 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 are sections in the in the book which are reporting on emails between him and the chief judge, and so I haven't read the book, so I don't know if right. this and makes this, sense and Lubet, in the context and of the Lubet book. Went into this it's in the very sense, unusual, though, extremely bizarre, uh, and, and especially when, uh, according to this uh, this Lubet summary, um, that he, he quit <laughs> exactly when he did because he had been told that disclosing the things he wanted to disclose would be violations of judicial ethics rules. Right. And so his brilliant insight is, oh, not if I'm not a judge, they're not. So yeah. getting around the ethics rule by getting by stopping being a judge. Well, wait a minute. The, <laughs> the, the, even if that is technically a solution to this ethics problem, I think the uh, another thing to think about would be why is that in the if it is in the code of ethics and you might debate that but but let's assume that there's a reasonable case to be made that the ethical canons that govern your behavior preclude you from doing this one question you could ask is huh I wonder why they do that like what what is it about that idea we shouldn't disclose things like this mm-hmm. that might be valuable and useful even if it weren't a rule that I might nevertheless want to adhere to that norm of behavior and like you always right? like you always say though joe like all rules are defeasible and and so well, you can imagine well that's true but that makes it even more important to think about why the rules in place yeah, because course. then you can begin to think about whether it's a sensible application of it in this instance or not right because the because you've got two by two table right <laughs> um is the rule here yes or no would it be good for it to be here yes or no and right. there's stuff going on in all four boxes of course Right. So maybe this is an instance where even if the rule technically wouldn't be violated by your disclosure, maybe it's not a good thing to do on the merits substantively. So that's what that's what worries me is is, you know, the guy's like, well, I want to tell people what's in the emails. Come on. Like, that's <laughs> terrib- that's a this affects terrible, people's terrible, ability to have conversations. Richard Posner impression. Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> I need to be much more froggy and that, flat. That sounded a lot like your Neil Gorsuch impression. I want which, to send this email. Oh, that's, that's not that's not good at all. No, yeah, it's you need. He's to be, very monotone. He can be. I want to be, send this email. Oh, that's, that's, I'm not going to try anymore. No, but no. my point is terrible. Um, if you if you want people, for example, if you want judges who are engaged in internal deliberations about court administration 
to be candid with one another in their deliberations about court administration. Right. You might think, you might reach the conclusion, huh, printing all this and hanging it out on the wall outside the courtroom is probably not a good idea. In such in in such close temporal proximity to the events. I mean, to the actual things because you know discussion. justices release their files usually po- usually posthumously. Right. And right. But it can reflect on people who are still on the court. Right. Like in that, fact, that some that of the justices happen. now say uh, my papers won't be released until every, not only not not only am I deceased, but everyone with whom I served on the court is deceased. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. No, that seems to me to be a very um, goes very very far in the direction of protecting that interest. Right. But 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 that is the interest. I, I think feel it's like we could to do protect. a whole show about this because I'm having many many thoughts right now yeah. about like what the purposes are of. Keep, you know, it, I think there are a bunch of obvious things you can say, right, which is yep. the, you know, candor is an important value. Candor is increased if you know that you can throw out ideas and they're not going to be – because, you know, whenever like, – this this whole show basically proceeds on the premise that no one's ever going to listen to it. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, how, that's how we can be so candid. N- nonetheless, people do listen to it, but we try to pretend they don't, right, because then it can throw out crazy ideas and, you know, sure. just like what we do, right? Right. Um, and, and that's important in, you know, it's executive privilege is based on this. So many yeah. privileges against disclosure are based on this idea that it's important for people to be able to have candid conversations, which means it's important for people to have unguarded moments. So you can do blah, blah, blah. Right. And, not. and exposing those things after the fact uh, is uh, impinges on that. And and so, yeah, I mean, it's very, his retirement in the context of this sort of barrage of materials where he appears to be disclosing things that maybe he, he shouldn't or maybe one could make an argument that that one shouldn't uh, in situations like his, even if their explanation or, or circumstances he could point to to explain why it's appropriate in this instance, right. even if it isn't generally, right? There's this sort of crazy barrage of stuff. And for people right? who are thinking like you – like there's nothing in that box that you should, you know, if there's a rule at the time, you should never break it. And if that rule persists, you know, for whatever reason, you shouldn't break it. I, I think they would clearly see there are times because if if the Seventh Circuit um, faxes back and forth, the Second Circuit had that. I don't know what they used to communicate. And so I guess it's email. I guess it's email in the Seventh Circuit. Apparently, right? quite a bit of it. Yeah. Uh, um, they're not on Slack yet in the Seventh Circuit. But, <laughs> right. uh, Do not but, disclose Slack. But if Slack those groups. emails were saying things like, oh, my God, can you believe we've got these lifetime appointments? Um, uh, can you give me I – w- I really want to come out this way in this case. Can someone tell me what to say? Right. Uh, you know, uh, Or, you know, I'll trade you this if you trade me that because right. I really want to leave town this weekend to go fishing. <laughs> right. right. That would – yeah, that would be kind and of so appalling. You, so and you, you, might... you quit and say I can no longer in good con- conscience yeah. – Serve on this circuit, sure. and here's why. And the and I think the public should know that right. kind of this whistleblower is whistleblowing. Thing. Yeah, right? exactly. So right. Uh, and and there are um, you know whole uh, statutes about that and et cetera. So yeah, it just seems it all seems very strange. Um, here's the one thing about but it that again, doesn't I've seem not read strange. The book, so nor I, have I. Yeah. Um, but what I've read about it seems strange. And and the uh, with the following exception, the one thing that doesn't seem strange about it is the degree to which it reflects the unbearable rightness of being Richard Posner. Right. So he 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 appears never to doubt his own assessment of anything. Yeah. Uh, this is something you often say is true of me, which isn't. Um, <laughs> oh no, I don't. Uh, but but you, <laughs> it, it is. It's it's kind of like that. That part of it makes me think. You know what? Maybe it was time to retire, hmm. because you you're a little too convinced of your uh, of your unimpeachable rectitude and, yeah, and this is, inevitable uh, correctness. Uh, this is, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I want to move on to the next topic, but uh, but I. The reason I hesitate and think maybe we should have a like a judicial ethics show where mm-hmm. we can really explore this is um, is also like people have different like rhetorical and, and um, 
appearances, right? I mean, so some people do present as if they have everything figured out, right? Even though they might actually, and if you get to know them, you'll know, like they are humble about their knowledge, but they don't yes. rhetorically present that way. That, and they, is, and, that is true. And, and, you know, Posner is a guy who's changed his mind yes. and been candid about that before. Right. So there is... But you and wonder, that part of the story yeah. where he's saying part of what I changed my mind about is how we treat pro se litigants. Yeah. Right. That's actually part of this very story where he's saying, and I acknowledge that, right. He's saying I had a, a moment when I realized, although for decades I haven't been paying really much attention to this at all, right. suddenly it seemed very important to me. Yeah. That's an, that's a statement about a change of view. And voter ID was another one. And, but right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, part of it is just personality. It's like le- like your legal reasoning personality and your public policy personality are, it can present in ways that are that are maybe, I don't know, misleading about the degree to which you have a flexible mind and a flexible stance. I, I don't know. I mean, this, it's just a reminder that courts are a bunch of people, right? Courts are made mm, of people interacting, right. right? And you can see that in some of these emails. And, and people are, well, you know, yeah. we're the weird monkeys that we are, right? Yeah. And, and I will be sad yeah. to uh, I, I, I'm sad about the fact that that means, you know, fewer, fewer antitrust opinions from him in the future, fewer trademark opinions from him, fewer copyright opinions, because even when I think they're so slightly bonkers, I learn from them. Just like we learned, you know, we had a show about the gay marriage opinion that he wrote. Right. I don't remember the name of the case, but it was I don't a, either. Boy, it was in, it was interesting. Right. Yeah. Always interesting, challenging, makes you think. Because he uh, analyzed it in a pretty offbeat way. Right. It's like this a way, an alternative to the tiers of scrutiny, though. Right. You know, conceptually, it's... You it felt more what, like proportionality never, never, review in yeah, Europe or something But you can like never that. really get away from from uh, scrutiny, but maybe tiers, discrete tiers you can get away from. And that right. was... Anyway, it was interesting. All right. Next. You said you had a list. I do. I have... To, here, here's what my note says. Storm and four-way stops. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember this? I so do. we had we had uh, when as we have not received nearly the worst of these hurricanes that have been F- devastating far and far 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 right, away right. from the worst, right? Uh, but we did have was it was Irma, yep. that came through and and brought near tropical force winds, maybe some tropical force winds to our area in right. Athens, which closed school for two days, yeah. knocked out power at my place yeah, for I was a, without for about like, twenty four hours. I was over fifty hours, I think, without power. So. Again, these are minor inconveniences Quite as minor. these things go. Yes. But our trees around here are not made for tropical storm force winds, right? So we had lots of trees down and lots of power outages owing to those downed trees. And right. usually, like, well, some of the last things to go in power outages seem to be traffic signals. But mm. nonetheless, there were many, many places in town. Yeah. Some of the, lo- some of the major thoroughfares through town had no red lights. And I believe you posted that maybe it was Facebook where... No, yeah, I posted on Facebook, yeah. And you were saying, isn't the rule... Because I was was feeling a little bit crazy. Like, (laughs) because I had been between school and home, I encountered more than one of these intersections. Yeah. And people were basically... Basically, just appeared to have random number generators on their dashboards <laughs> that they would hit and think it's time to go. Is like it, they did not appear to be observing any social norms of any kind. Is this a yield sign? Is it a stop sign? So, there, so it, there are stoplights. It's a four-way stop with stoplights, but they're out. And so, and so, what do you do? Yeah. And the answer is, you treat it like a four-way stop. Yes. And that's what you were asking. And I think I replied to that, and I think I said, kind of. You Why would that? you say kind of? 
I mean, I think that is the, that is the uh, accepted traffic rule. Yes. Um, of course, that presupposes you know how to act on a four-way stop sign, <laughs> which not everyone does. What, what is the rule about four-way stops, Joe? Do you want well, to just summarize I actually, for us? I looked it up that day. Oh, I don't doubt it. That's why. And, <laughs> and I do, and I do not recall it precisely. So I would, I would like to have it in front of me before I say it, so that I don't say okay, it inaccurately. Well, then, but uh, you should put it in the show notes. Yeah, maybe if you send it to me. But uh, otherwise, they should just go based on what I say. Okay. What do you say? I say that it is the first to arrive at the four-way stop. But if people arrive simultaneously or if they're already there, it is the person to your right who goes. Yeah, that sounds correct. Yeah, and then, you know, after the person to your right proceeds, then it is your turn to proceed because you're obviously to the right of other people who are waiting. So, you know, you kind of go around clockwise. So, yeah, you're blending time or, of – counterclockwise, yeah. actually. No, you're, clockwise. You're, you're, you're going partly by how you arrive. Yes. But partly by – if you're going to your right, if we were looking from above, it would be traveling in the counterclockwise direction if people arrive simultaneously, right? So let's say you and I drive up at the same moment. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to the right, which is counterclockwise, to f- pick which of the two of us will go. The person to your right goes first. Yes, which is and counterclockwise you of you. If, you. if you were to look down, you would be saying that the order in which they're going is moving like the hands of a clock. Ah, Yes. Right, the order I mean. in which they go. Right, right. right. So, so the, the, yeah, the order is moving clockwise. Yeah, which means the preference of the next person is running counterclockwise. Ooh, boy, I don't know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> so so here, here's why I said kind of, right? So uh, the problem here is this was, these were not just like stoplights in, uh, in small areas where... No, they it, were on major they thoroughfares. They were on major thoroughfares. And, and in Athens, we which have... Which isn't the ones that I ran in. I think I ran into one of those, but only one of them. Um and and it's it's this is easier to do on smaller intersections. Two, for two of sure. our ma- two of our major roads are Millage Avenue, where there are a bunch of fraternities and sororities, and an increasing number of other kinds of things. And then uh, Lumpkin Street, which goes past the university and and out to Five Points. Um, but you're but well, those are the north south streets. What what about you know Broad Street and a major east west thoroughfare, Prince Avenue and a major east west thoroughfare? Yeah, because they were and those are multi lane. In some places right. that may, and, and they're and, out as well. And they, they, they had, there were lights out there as well. Right. So, so my addendum would be, uh, that, that the major thoroughfares, if you're on the major thoroughfare traveling along it, right now, this is not the actual rule. Like I would treat it as a four way stop if there's any confusion, right. But I would roll through those, treating them more like a, a cautious yield. And, and the reason, like if everybody treated these like four-way stops, these major thoroughfares, where the side streets, which are less frequent, come, come in, it would just be, this is, what, this is why traffic is so bad when the lights go out, right? Because right. you're just moving a lot. If everybody stops at every stoplight on a major thoroughfare. so Yeah. I mean, okay. Friendly and friendly amendment to mm-hmm. that. I'm, what you said, I understand why you said what you said. I, I understand what it means. step one. Okay, good. And, I, and, and, <laughs> and it, it does make me a little uncomfortable. Of course. Here, here's, <laughs> I would say further... Or in a, you know, to alongside that, complementary to that, I would say, um, people who find themselves in a situation like go forward or turn right, don't be that person who insists on turning left, okay? Because that's going to make everything harder for everybody. Just don't make left turns. Do not make left turns. Just don't do it at that location. Yeah, go somewhere else and make your <laughs> gosh turn whatever. Right. Right. Um, and you know, get away from that area, like. <laughs> Go to where the lights work <laughs> to the degree that you can, it, right? I mean, well, avoid the that area. The lights, the lights didn't work throughout town. That, that was, I, 
I don't think that's the case. They uh, were there were pockets of town where they were working. This might be time if, dependent, if, if, right? If, so if there was pocket, a time when yes, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So there might have been a time when all the lights failed. I think this is our best episode yet. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> darn it! Uh, <laughs> so I'm assuming, in, in with my advice, that mm. there there are areas where the lights are functioning. There are areas where there aren't. And so if you find yourself in an area where their lights are functioning, maybe think about alternate routes that you could use. Right. Well, you know, what often happens when lights are kind of out or non-functional is they flash yellow or flash red. Mm. Right. And so that's kind of my attitude toward these long, like if someone could say what yeah. should happen, it would be proceed, proceed cautiously through the yeah. thoroughfare and treat it as a two-way stop if you're coming on one of the minor roads. But like there's no great way to coordinate that, which is why you have to be extra careful and treat yes. it like be prepared to treat it like a four-way stop. Yes. If there's any doubt. And. But this is another rule standards thing, right? Yeah, it turns yeah. out the rule about treating yeah, it like a four-way stop. Mostly stop, standards. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's actually mostly a standard. Hmm. Are we done with that one? Yeah. I had two things in here that I think I'm going to skip. One is about this conference that I went to that I really enjoyed. Oh, why are we skipping that? Well, because I, I, um, uh, I want to, uh, maybe maybe we'll come back to it. But it was this interdisciplinary conference from this group, uh, Winnier. Um, is which this is, the one you went to? Yeah, yeah, I was in Utrecht and, and just amazing conference. It brings together economists, um, sociologists, philosophers. Um, How far uh, is Utrecht from Amsterdam? It, it would be like uh, in America, it would be like a suburb, like a like an exurb. Almost, okay. Right. So, you know, you take a train ride and it's like, you know, 20, 30 minutes mm. by train. And is there a university uh, yeah. in Utrecht? Yeah. And is that where the, it was yes, hosted? that's where it was hosted. Neat. Beautiful. Utrecht is like a, it's like a tiny version or it's a much smaller version of the canal district in Amsterdam, hmm. at least the central part. Like I, like I was there for a few days. Like you, if you, you actually have someone there, they would say, you don't know anything about Utrecht. Or, you know, you're right. You're right. I was only there in the central district yeah, for a few hmm, days. Right. Uh, you're saying. Uh, Lots of bicycles. You're saying Utrecht, like yeah. Utrecht, I trekked, we all trekked right. for Utrecht. Um, that's because I don't speak, I don't speak the Dutch. But they say Utrecht, don't they? I have no idea. The whole language, no is, idea. the whole language is mysterious to me. Okay. I, I, I just say Utrecht. I mean, I, I speak American. <laughs> I, like I'm, I'm not, I'm increasingly not a great traveler. Like, I, you know, when I went to, uh, when well, I went the to China, don't have a chance like, in... when I went to China, like, oh no, I love traveling. Like, I, I mean, I love it. It just... Especially for like business travel where I'm really, you know, not really, I'm not planning, I'm not planning a bunch of vacation stuff. I'm going there to, to, to do, do my this, job, right. right? And maybe I'll have an extra day, but I'm not going to think about that extra day because I'm preparing my presentation or whatever until right. that. Until you're arrives. having that day. Right. And then I'll just, you know, do whatever. I'm not treating it like a vacation. Yeah. Um, so I'll go places and I won't even know how to count to 10 in the local language or even to say hello. Which is like the worst stereotype of them. But the thing is that like <laughs> everybody speaks English there, right? Mm. And they're super nice. And so long as like I'm nice about it, I'm like, I know I'm an idiot. I don't speak, the, you know, right. so I'm not demanding that you speak English. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to do the sign language thing if we need to. Probably a lot of German speakers there too. Yeah. Probably a lot of French speakers there too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's like most countries. People know more languages than, <laughs> than, than their own. But the Netherlands seems especially sort of polyglot and polycultural and cosmopolitan. I can't speak. I could be wrong about that. I can't speak for all of it. I've been to Rotterdam on another occasion, and I was able to spend a day and a half in Amsterdam. This time, that was my first time in Amsterdam, and which was amazing. I could go to the Van Gogh Museum, 
This is like like before my plane left. I got to go there and got to go to the... Looking at Van Gogh's makes me hungry because the painter, the paints, they look like big plates of pudding. Oh, boy. I love Van Gogh. Well, it's a great museum. And you see the stages, right, that he goes through. And it's basically like, you know, there are 10 years of output. Yeah. You know? They look like food. <sighs> All right. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go to the next topic. <laughs> It wasn't a criticism. Uh, all right, I'm going to skip that one because we're going to talk more about that one another time. So we're going to talk about my my um, favorite coffee house closing down. Oh, I didn't realize you were, you wanted to have a public, I don't, I have a public about, conversation. Yeah, I would think you just do a I'm primal ready. scream. <laughs> I mean, now we can talk about Edouard Munch. I had a true, we, we had a true, what they call a third wave coffee shop here in Athens. Coffee moved in, story. Like, moved in nine years ago mm. is when it started. At a time when you couldn't even find really good like third wave coffee in a lot of bigger cities. No, why are you calling it third wave? Well, so there's there's a great documentary about cappuccinos that someone made. It's mm, that, uh, I forget I'm who made surprised. it, but it was, it was good and um and they kind of go through the evolution. So, you know, if you you know, Starbucks was this new kind of coffee thing that everybody latched onto. Uh, making, are you calling that espresso second wave? drinks? That would be second wave. Okay. And third wave is um bringing back a little bit more traditional style espresso drinks, the kinds that you would normally find in Italy, right? So, you know, places, if you go to a place and they have latte art and if you order a cappuccino, they don't ask you what size, they just give you the size that it should be. Right. Then that's a third wave shop. And usually there's more attention paid to freshness of beans, right? To getting the grind right and doing these things. And like, like I don't I'm not, like, I'm not too frou-frou about this in the sense that like I'll drink coffee and I'll be happy, whatever, but I do take pleasure in a really well done coffee yeah like it's really pleasurable as and do I. the cappuccinos which i think is the world's greatest drink it is like the you, you know how they say like the violin is in like these like exact right proportions it's mm. like perfectly proportioned for you know i don't know the theory of it but something like that mm-hmm. the cappuccino is like this perfect blend of espresso and milk in just the right way i just don't think there's a better drink okay i guess that's what i'm saying joe and they ha- and so i you know, i i was um uh, uh, I was such a customer there. In fact, when they changed registers, when they changed the register system and they moved over to, I think they moved over to Square, they printed out their role and they, they rolled it out. And like my, my roll of receipts ran all the way from one end of the shop to the other end of the shop. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I still had that picture. I mean, I was just a good, I would hold office hours in there. Yeah, you were one of their best customers. Oh, it was so good. And I love the people there. I've had several other people, you know, live with me for a little while. Uh met one of my best friends there. It's like, you know, it's sad. It's sad when a place closes down and it closed down for typical, I think, nonsense real estate type reasons. Mm. Someone thought they could make more money there with a different kind of thing. They didn't talk to, you know, they, they avoided talking to the uh, to two stories owners about, you know, maybe raising the rent and, but also discounted. And this is the only reason I want to talk about it on this show, right? Is there's an interesting kind of land use issue about how neighborhoods work, mm. right? That, in a small neighborhood, so this is in a neighborhood of, called Five Points here in, in Athens, which has a good grocery store, a truly excellent bakery, mm-hmm. did have until recently a truly excellent coffee shop, a really great English pub, uh, and a number of other businesses which are good, a new chocolate shop. We've got recently opened a really good independent bookshop. And right, now, a br- and, second branch right. of Avid bookshop. And, and a new kind of American Chinese place, which like embraces that identity yep. and does a really good job. So the, it's, like it's the a bottle shop of, too. I think, the, oh, yeah. I think the liquor store that's there is a good store. Doesn't look like much from the outside, but they right. have a great selection and people who care. Like, so yeah. it's just a community where people like care about their products, right? 
and it's not like it's not like a super spendy like you know precious no like you know maybe you would think like the 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 stereotype of like the brooklyn neighborhood where people are doing like i don't know like artisan gas pumping or something like that it's nothing like that right right um but like because it's small like every one of these businesses matters so mm. when a really good one closes it like it it's like a dagger right and right. and and you can't just replace this is going to be some kind of coffee sh- it's going to be no not coffee shop it's going to be some kind of like cocktail slash restaurant concept going in there okay. and that does not substitute for a coffee shop no right and a coffee shop is a place where you can just go in and you can talk to people you can relax like there's it, you're not going in to dine and then to leave right and and that's what we're really missing now in five points there isn't a place other than the pub where you can kind of go in and have but then you had to drink beer and stuff and like you can't just do that all day right <laughs> at least i can't right, right? But I could go into the coffee shop. I could do my work. I could talk to people. And, you know, the serendipity of meeting other people in the neighborhood, like that. So it's a real loss. And I, I don't know that, like, the economics of it don't account for that, right? It, it has to do with transaction co- – there's a transaction cost story. There's a, there's kind of a, uh, a tragedy of the anti-commons story here about the ways that these communities are – these these kind of interlocking businesses, which all serve to make each other better because they create this identity for this place. Like they, they have a hard time working together in most places. They have, anyway, they have a, the businesses that together comprise the thing, have a hard time working together. Yeah. We'll say more about what you mean about that. Well, for, for, for one parking has always been an issue here. Like each of these businesses, has complained about parking with the exception of the pub, which I think is awesome. Like, he thinks like, I've got a few spaces. I'm not going to be too um, persnickety about it. People are going to find me right. And the place is always full. He's yeah. got, he's got the right kind of attitude about what a walkable neighborhood is like in terms of parking. Right. But other businesses are like, they blame all their problems on lack of parking, mm. you know? And so each business has its own parking spaces that it jealously guards. The effect of this, right, is that despite plenty of parking in the aggregate, there are places where you can't get a spot at certain times, right? right? So this is a place where like shared parking or consolidate, we could actually have far less parking there if it were consolidated, right? And and, uh, and then you could reclaim a lot of this parking space as pedestrian space or outdoor dining space. You know? So you can, make, you can make the whole place better if you cooperated on this one issue. And yet people are locked into, because it's hard to cooperate, um, because even of with the, relatively... Because of the multiplicity of owners of the establishments yeah, and the, that and own the spaces. And sometimes the owners are changing over, and, and one of the owners was engaged in litigation with the city for a long time about his parking spaces. Right. And so there, there's not like a cooperative spirit enough, and the city's not playing the role of helping them to cooperate, right? So the city's not overcoming these transaction costs. Ideally, the city would use eminent domain and take a big chunk and just make it parking in one place and then remove all the other parking and create outdoor space. Like that's what should happen, right? But how do you get everybody to work together toward that goal? Because, you know, for you, giving up your parking is all risk if you're an individual owner, unless you can be assured, right, mm. that, that that capacity will still be there. Anyway, I, I think it's it's an interesting problem, right, that um, that so much of a place with relatively few businesses – so much of its value is bound up with the way those businesses kind of work together. Like when I say work together, I don't mean like one business owner working with another. I mean, like, what is it like to experience that place? What's it like to go there? Like if I, if I go for the day and I, and I get a coffee in the morning and I go over and I get a croissant from the bakery and then maybe in the afternoon 
or evening, I go over and I get a beer at the, at the pub, like, and do my grocery shopping somewhere else. Like that, that whole experience, that, that that's your village, right? That's your yeah. place. And, and, you know, the identity of a village is this, is, is more, it, in a way it's more than the sum of its parts, right? But it has to be, those parts have to be there, right? It can also be less than the sum of its parts. So yeah. if you don't have a grocery store at all, you're just not going to be able to get things done around. You're going to have to go out or you're going to have to drive and go somewhere else. And... So I have questions just in terms of this specific event of the closure of this specific place. Okay. That Yeah, bring us back because I'm not making a lot of sense, it's, I think. It... <laughs> so the people who ran that business did not own the building. That's right. They were leasing. They, they were leasing the building. Right. So the owner of the building wanted to have some other kind of business in that building. Well... I th- yes, I, I eventually, and, and they were working with a management company, some kind of called Parker and Associates. I'll call them out. I'll call them out. Uh, I, and I don't know what the arrangement was. And there may, so, it so may you're be saying they, the owner wasn't the manager of the building, and there was a management company that was dealing with the lessee. And I have no, yes, that's my understanding. But I, this is secondhand. I don't know. Who, Understood. And I don't know the relation between the building owner and this management company. And I also have heard, but don't really know the relationship between either the management company and the new people coming in. The building feels like a house. Yeah. And and is there the thought that they're going to change that house? I think there's going to be some effort put in, but I have no idea what that, what the new building is. Like to either be, uh, like. replace that building with a whole new structure or to... Oh, I don't think that. I don't think they'll do that. To change that structure in some way to I, I'm sure there'll alter be, it. I'm to, sure there will be some remodeling, but I don't think there's a thought to tear the building down and build something new. Okay. Not that I know of, but no. Was there a rent they could have sought to obtain from the leaseholder? They never tried. The leaseholder, uh, the leaseholder, which at the coffee shop, reached out to them apparently six months in advance. Of the end of their uh, next yeah, lease. We want to renew. You know, there's some things we want, like they needed to do, they needed to pave some of that parking lot and do some other things. And we know you're probably going to want some more rent. So let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then a month before the lease expires, they say, you got to get out. Okay. After nine years, they give them one month's notice. Wow. Which I think is pretty crappy. It Well, yeah, it's certainly abrupt. Yeah. Um, oh, although if you, if you really are convinced that the business plan that you have for the property as the owner of the property who's going to lease it to somebody else, if you're convinced that there isn't any conceivable way that the current tenant could possibly provide you that rent, then I I don't know that, I mean, at least strictly speaking, right? You're not, you're you're not bound in some formal way to negotiate. No, just by the terms of human decency. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, see, so if they'd known several months in advance that they would not renew, they probably could have gotten another place in five points. So, you know, there's that with the, oh, the, the right. place and that's next a different, to the, that's a different matter, right? right? Where so the, you know where the leather shop went in? Like we got a leather shop in five points, which is fine. Like some people may think that's the best thing ever. Now I can walk to the leather shop, right. I guess, right? For me, that's like, you know, how often am I going to go there compared to the And that thing has shop? changed hands quite a few times, actually. It was a yoga studio. Particularly lo- like, people, this, particular is, this is a really local edition of Warlord. <laughs> but you're, you're right that if uh, my point if was if they, if they know there's no need to negotiate, um, if you know for certain there isn't a number on which you can both agree, you know the number you you want and that you can get in some other way is so far outside the bargaining range of the other party right. that there's just no point, right? right. But but your your and and your reply, hey, wait a minute, to the degree that that's true, and you know that three months earlier, 
why not tell them three months earlier? Because that gives them more time. As soon as you're aware of that fact, look, our our bargaining ranges are way too far apart. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be, I think, the better practice to tell that uh, your your erstwhile bargaining partner, we're not partners anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know this this is going to come to an end when this thing is when this lease expires. This is like the Bebchuk and Posner explanation of of adhesion <laughs> contracts, right? That the, that the reason that and I'll just kind of generalize it to just general commercial relationships, even though they're talking about like the reason to uphold one sided bargains that aren't really negotiated, right? Which right. is a real puzzle in contract law. Uh, what one thing you expect is that people's behavior under contract the reason people won't behave as badly as possible under contract as they as the terms allow is that there is a secondary kind of reputation market right and people will be punished in terms of reputation and also people will feel bad i mean so it's not just reputation with others i think you know the 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 bonds of human decency can restrict like the worst that we can do under contract right and you know their explanation there is the reason to allow it to be one sided is that consumers are more likely to kind of screw over the big company than the big company is to screw over the consumers because the big co- the big company faces uh, faces reputation harms that, that the consumer, that the consumer does not right yeah. and maybe maybe that that uh, the person where they hear would say in response to your observation hey why didn't you tell them four months ago or three months ago if that's re- really when you knew maybe it wasn't when they knew but assuming it were when they knew why didn't they say maybe their answer would be well look I you know <laughs> I, I don't I'm worried about how they'll behave during that right. period. And and I'm not obliged to tell them until a month in advance. Right. And in order to minimize the time during which they might misbehave with a lack of fear of repercussion, I want to minimize that time period. I don't know what kind Maybe. of I don't know what kind of security deposit they had and I don't know what Nor do I. I don't know what grounds or, or any reason to think they would they would do something harmful to the physical Especially space. I mean they've the been exceptionally good stewards of that space. Yeah. So I don't know why they would start acting differently, but you know, um, we don't know what they're thinking because for all of the the kind of local newspaper articles on it, they didn't comment. The management company and the yeah. owners didn't comment. So, so we don't know. Uh, and you, we'll see. We'll see what they. We'll, we'll see what they come up with. It isn't my neighborhood anymore. It's I, your neighborhood now. Yeah, but, that's true. Well, and, and it's no longer my neighborhood. Like it's changed. It's a different neighborhood now. Right. It's a, the light. Yeah, because is it's closed now. Right. I mean, the lights are off. They're gone. They oh have yeah. Their they're, last they're day. closed. They're closed. And you know, hopefully they'll reopen in some form somewhere. Um, that's the plan. We'll we'll see. I know some things, but you know, I don't I don't know everything, and there's still a lot of uncertainty. Right. So. I have an even more local story to tell now. Oh, you're kidding me. Well, this is related to my airplane flight to this conference. <laughs> okay. You know that we had, for a long time, we had we were involved in this. Because this is the kind of thing, you know, we did the flashing lights thing. Do you flash your lights to warn somebody about a sure, speed sure. trap? That, this, was, this is where the show really started. This is the soul of the show. The beating heart of is the show. The, right. Well. You're talking about reclining. The same things, yeah. So, but. But you're talking we, about reclining in your you're reclining seat? in an airline seat, right? As right. a uh, another a, one of our uh, hardy perennials. Yeah, and I think our shared view, right, is that the this this conflict between the person in front of you who reclines and between you who's having your space reclined into is is a conflict that the airline sets up by selling that space to both people. Yes. Right. And without a clear rule about who quote unquote owns this space. Right. And so all of these articles about 
you know, you should pay them and auctions and, you know, <laughs> this kind of how to you know, cozy and bargaining stuff seems beside the point, right? The airline is the real villain here in a way. <laughs> well, right. They seem beside the point if you're trying to identify who is at fault in this <laughs> yeah, scenario. Who, who can right. solve this problem? There are some interesting – Chris Brigman and uh, and – I can't remember whether he's got a co-author on the piece or not, but they did some fun little empirical stuff about how people view who who should do what with whom. I remember about that. Those oh, yeah. recli- it's been a long time. Yeah. That was because this is. It seemed like this controversy flared up. Yes. You remember the knee, and the knee, the knee defender. defender. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and some of these airline seats now they they recline in such a way that they kind of slide forward as the top reclines down, oh, right? So you you know there there are ways of solving this problem if you put right. the cost on the right person. Come back you, to the very beginning of the episode. You know, someday, of course, we will dream of having the high class problem of of discussing reclining because at some point they will figure out a way <laughs> to make us all stand. Um, Wasn't that a Ryanair proposal for a while? I think there was some very funny – Where you would hold on like like New York City subway style. Right, or, or something similar to that. Yeah. Uh, some little like demi uh, demi seating um, mm-hmm. so that you could lower your, your backside a few inches and uh, basically be standing up on, on bent – like your legs would be bent at the knee a little yeah. bit, right? Well, we're all going to be on one of standing. well, we're all going to be on one of Elon Musk's hyperloops or or his uh, BFR rocket flying uh, yeah, forty five minutes to yeah maybe. Um, but but we'll be standing, and maybe they'll <laughs> have knocked us out with gas of some kind and reawaken us when we arrive. And um, it's going to be uh, as I say, it's going to be uh, the charming days of yore uh, when people got to debate fine points of reclining or not. So I have uh, a twist on this. A twist I never thought would arise because I don't know if you know this, Joe, but I am a pretty courteous flyer. I'm not surprised to hear I, that. I tried it because I'm like, you know, even you and I have never flown together. So how, no. I didn't I don't know that from experience, but I'm not surprised to hear that because I'm not going to make a stink. Like, you know, it's like it's not worth it. Um, every, everyone has their own story. I don't know what happened to you earlier today. If you're going to recline in my face, that's kind of a, but I'm not going to like I would never use a knee defender. I would never you right. know, push on someone's seat or anything. But, but also, I, I also don't get the sense that you yourself are a sort of, um, you know, rapid and, and total recliner for your own now, chair. I find this very, I always find this to be very difficult because I was on, this is an overnight flight to Europe. Mm. Okay. And I, it's I don't, a long flight. And I don't, I don't do a lot of these flights. So I'm not a, right. a frequent, you know, uh, long traveler. I, I love it, but I, I just don't have the opportunity to do it a lot. And... On these, I think when we talked about this a long time ago, it, it makes sense that the norm would be that on that, you can recline, right? If it's an overnight flight, yeah. at a certain point, you should be able to recline because everybody reclines. Pretty much everybody's everyone does. More, everybody's better off if everybody reclines. And pretty much everyone does. Pretty much. Uh, of course, the person in front of me, of course, immediately reclines. Like within, like pretty much as soon as you can, possibly can. And this was on Lufthansa, which is a great airline. Yeah. It may even be that she reclined before we even took off. That may be fine on Lufthansa. I don't know. <laughs> Lots of stuff seemed a little bit different to me, um, and mm. she spoke. Uh, she spoke German, and 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 anyway, um, <clears throat> I say that because I'm not aware whether there are just cultural norms here which are different, yeah. or or what. I don't know, uh, but of course, for me, like you know, she reclines, and, and I'm tired, but I'm worried. I don't know who's behind me, and so you know, if you can see, I'm pantomiming. I'm kind of thinking yeah. about pushing that button. So hold on. So, so I push it just enough. Oh, I need a good, and we need okay. to go back. So the person in front of you yes. reclined and reclined very soon into the flight. Oh, yeah. At a point long before everyone is doing the sort of, we're basically all going to recline because right. we're basically all going to go to bed right. because right. it's an overnight yeah, flight no, this, and we want right. to wake up later and da, da, da. So, so this happens to me every time I fly. What it, they, they recline as soon as, as, as the airline would allow and sometimes sooner. And I'll look around. I'm like, how, how could this happen? Is, it, is everybody reclining? I'll look around. No, it's the only one. 
<laughs> it seems to happen every time. Do you know this old Bette Midler joke about uh, no. about her, her German husband? No. Um, and how she dresses up like Poland and he invades her? Oh. You, you made this joke. You, you made this joke about oh. the person being German, and oh. it made me flash on that joke. No, like maybe she thought you looked like Poland. No, I mean lots of people are German on this flight. It's a Lufthansa flight. To, Precisely. Right. It was to Frankfurt, and then I took a connecting flight. Got so, it. Um, and otherwise, I have to say too, the way they loaded this aircraft, like it's it's five minutes, or maybe ten minutes until it's meant to take off, and there are all these long lines, and right. you get in this row, you get in this line if you're in these rows, and yep, this yep, line if yep. you're in those rows. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be, uh, you know, I, I don't care because we're going to get there and it's gonna, probably going to be on time. But it seems to me, boy, we're going to be delayed because we only got it 10 minutes till this thing's supposed to push back. And they start going through and they load that plane in like five or 10 minutes flat. Wow. And we're ready to push back. It's like th- that is some, you know, they know stereotypical German efficiency for you. Because <laughs> I, I happened to fly Delta on the way back for weather reasons. I was mm. rebooked. And, and if that's no that Lufthansa. No, that's no Lufthansa. Right. So, so let's go back to your okay. story. She's reclined. She's fully reclined, you know, immediately. Way early. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a short guy. I'm not like a, I'm not like a Tim Meyer over here though. No, that's but true. Like, you're not a basketball I'm player. About six feet, like 5'11". I'm right. like 5'11", six feet, something like that. Probably 5'11". Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm probably 5'10 by now. I think I'm, I think I'm at the You've age where I'm going to start shrinking. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. You know, because there's not a lot of knee space. I was hoping to do a little bit of work. And, of course, you can't do that because no. of the trade and you know, all this. And, uh, but anyway, so I'm like, I'm resigned to it, right? And so I, I put my laptop back into my, like, backpack and put it under the seat. And at some point, I have to fish something else out. And in the context of doing that, because she's so far back, of course, I'm going to kind of just bump it lightly. You know, when you're in a seat and you kind of, you know, your knee will hit the seat. Yeah. I'm not, like, knee defendering this thing, pushing it. No, 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 no. And at some point, she turns around. <gasps> She turns around and, and, and says, can you please stop doing that? Oh, my God. She's taking umbrage I'm at trying, your... I'm trying to sleep. Yes. You, you, yes. You, I, you, are, you are bumping my seat. And, and, of course, I say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't intend to. I'm not intending to do that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll try to be careful. And this was a little bit disingenuous because I was actually angry. But I didn't let on that I was angry. Angry that she took umbrage at your bumping her seat. Right. And I have, you know, almost no space between my, so if I'm going to, if I'm going to reach for a jacket or, right. or put something back, I'm going to hit the seat. So this to yeah, me is she, a, she has made it impossible for you not to hit the seat by leaving For you to engage in virtually any cu- customer activity right. in your seat. Right. This seemed to me particularly aggressive. This seems a new twist. It's not like you're, it's not like you're back in your seat practicing your mixed martial arts kicks, right? No, I don't. That, need, I, that would make, that would make you hit someone's seat in a way that would be unusual or strange. No, I don't practice that. I, I'm a natural. I don't practice. <laughs> right. You don't need to practice no. that on a plane. No, practice? No. What are you talking about? Exactly. You just go with your kickboxing groove in the moment. Right. Right. So you're just sitting there. I'm not saying bump on a pickle, but you're just sitting there. Right. Pretty you're not much. doing a whole lot of crazy stuff. Right. But she turns around right after I reach down and put something in the backpack and then come back up again. But, but because, again, because of her reclining choice. Right. And because the, and let us not forget, because the airline created a situation where both of you could feel a sense of use of that space. Right. Um, and I had already surrendered on that. Right. Because when, when it came time for me to recline, like, I'm like, I don't want to do this to another person. So I'm trying to look behind me. Is this, is this person reclined and asleep? In which case, maybe I will recline. So, yeah. But if they're not, I try to figure And so usually what I do is I hit that little button and I back up just a little bit. Yeah. You know, just enough so that like gravity will make it so that my head is not like tilting forward. Correct. If I fall asleep. I'll try to do that, but not all the way back because I'm not a monster, Joe. Exactly. At least in this way. Yes. At least in this way. 
Wow. Uh, so yeah, this was uh, this so is a she, new like that. That's pretty. Um, that's instead pretty... of just feeling enticed, like you know, this was I'd already surrendered the space. I'd already surrendered the entitlement to the space, right? Which you know, I but that was no, not enough. That was not enough. You needed to be utterly immobile, right? So that there would be no physical contact with her seat, right? You bastard. <laughs> Anyway, I thought I would report. How dare you move? I thought I thought I would. I thought I would report on this. This is the. I think again. I just have to say this is our greatest episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the, uh, the episode that our true fans you will know, enjoy. We've said this, and no one else. I think I think we've said this in three of the past four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time when it, when we had. Uh, you and me conversations with some frequency. Then we went at through least a, half of the time. We yeah. Then we there. went through a period where we more often had guests. Yeah. We're in a you and me period a little bit again. It's totally fine. But it's about, we're going to have guests from here on, right? No, we're going to have guests and then there will be times when we don't have guests. It's a, it will be a mixed bag. Now, Joe, you book our guests, right? You find them, you go through the frustration of, in, of inviting people and, I do. and have in either not hearing back and or uh, like, for, you know, on October 20, we're at the, we're in Atlanta on the 27th. We have a guest already scheduled. So yes, I, we have guests. I have another idea for a live show. Oh, we'll talk about it offline because okay. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to overpromise and under, under deliver. Fair enough. So I just want to tease. There may be another live show coming up. Okay. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it'll work. We have some we have some guests on the horizon. You have some you've reached out to who either haven't gotten back or not yeah. sure. Like, yeah, it's not easy being Joe. <laughs> so, that <laughs> well, said, like I think, listeners, you I, don't you don't know the pains that we go through to I think try to only, get. The uh, only thing we can yeah. say for sure is that it's not easy being you having to listen to me talk about how it's not easy being me. <laughs> Yeah. That I'm that I feel fairly confident about. So if you're ever sitting back there and you're like, why why, why don't they talk to so and so, or why don't they talk to this kind of person who does this field and not that field? It's like, well, you know, Joe has probably tried. Joe has probably tried. A lot of people are like reticent to be on a podcast, and I don't know why. If they've listened to a single episode of this, I think they'd be, oh, I, I can go on there and like clean up with those yeah, guys. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'll be so much better than these guys. It's amazing, <laughs> right? Right. right. You're, you're correct, by the way, listener. If you think that. <laughs> So anyway, if there's someone that you would like to hear on the show, or if you're uh, if you're someone who you think would be going good on the show, you can always get in touch. Sure, sure. I, I, I can't say for sure that Joe will will book you. Fair enough. Oral argument podcast at gmail dot com. With what com- was that again? Complaints. Oral argument. Uh, let me try again. I'm a little tied up today because of this. I got a little bit of the gack still. I think oral argument dot com. No. no. That, that is that. In fact, we don't even have that one. Did you know correct. We don't. We don't we, you said a thing is, that is absolutely incorrect. Right. This is like saying go to whitehouse.com. Right. <laughs> this is. So our website is oralargument.org. Yes. There is a contact button on that, which is used frequently by people trying to sell products. Yeah. Don't use that. Don't use that one. Send, send an email to oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll get it. And let us know how we're doing. Leave us a review on iTunes. Apparently that suge- works. Apparently could- that works. No one's done that in a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, as uh, Christian says, suggest a guest. That's suggest a nice a guest. rhyme. Suggest a guest. Suggest. We welcome your suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not a grandfather, but you do sound like one. I do. because that, that pun was so bad. It's, not a, po- it's, a, it's a portmanteau. That, that portmanteau was so portman don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't think we can do any more damage today. No. This is enough. I think Agreed. All of our listeners are crying uncle at this point. Yeah. Do you, do you have anything? No. I always ask that. You always say no. 
I hit stop, and then I'm, you say something. I'm it's happy funny to oblige. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so I'll hit see stop so I can say something. <laughs> I'll see you next time, Joe.